with topics ranging from how cloud computing is streamlining government operations to exploring the intersection of machine learning and healthcare data. Foley and Larder's Innovative Technology Insights podcast examines not just the legal ramifications of developments at the cutting edge of technology, but how they are affecting businesses, governments, and individuals. In each episode, we will lead discussions between researchers, industry leaders, and regulators for their thoughts on this changing world. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome. My name is Natasha Allen. I'm a partner in Foley's Silicon Valley and San Francisco offices and the co-chair of the AI sector within our innovative technology subsector. On today's podcast, we'll be discussing the hypercloud and associated technologies. Joining me to provide their expertise on the topic are Dave Sloan and Chris McKenna. Good morning, gentlemen. Howdy. Come on, Come on Natasha. Dave Sloan is Microsoft's CTO for worldwide public sector focused on global market development. In this role, he works with governments around the world to create architectures for innovation that are compatible with national priorities and regulations. His particular areas of focus are tailoring cloud adoption to comply with national priorities, flexible cloud architectures, advanced data protection measures, and hybrid innovation. Chris McKenna is the Officing Manager in Boston, Co-Chair of the Electronic Practice, and Chair of the Cloud Computing Infrastructure and Solutions within our innovative technology sector. Chris focuses his practice on acting as an advisor for technology companies, helping identify, capture, and protect their most important IP. In addition, Chris counsels companies on legal, technical, and business issues of IP in various transaction documents and various transactions such as M&A deals. Thank you for joining me today, gentlemen. Uh, so one question, what is hyperscale cloud? Oh, wow. Okay, so let's start with the fundamentals <laughs> here. That's good. So the WAGs may say that cloud is just somebody else's servers, right? That instead of running your own infrastructure for your own enterprise, that you essentially outsource that to another organization. And at a very practical level, that is one aspect of it. But the hyperscale cloud has capacity that is far beyond that in terms of creating enormous economies of scale, creating what appears to be near limitless capacity for customers that they can access on demand, pay as you go with sort of the, the latest and greatest technology kept evergreen without any of their intervention. And that is really the definition of the hyperscale cloud that I think is so tantalizing for both private and public sector customers as they look to found their IT plans for decades to come. Excellent. Natasha, I'd like to add a couple comments to that. Just to tee up off something Dave said at the beginning, right, is that I think there's a somewhat of a misconception of what the cloud is in the first place, right? It's just not the location of data and applications, maybe from on-premise in your data center to a third-party online resource, right? It's also, when I think of cloud computing, I also think about digital transformation, right? It's when you go from on-premise to on the cloud, there's a style of computing where it's scalable and elastic, right? That can provide resilience and all these capabilities as a service to customers using internet-based technologies. 
in today's point, it's it's meant to an architecture that's going to scale appropriately to that demand. I do have a, a question for Dave because every time I hear hyperscale, I always associate it with, or I hear people associate it with the public cloud, and maybe they equate those two, and that's probably maybe the best way to solve the hyperscale issue. But is that true? I guess would hyperscale include private and hybrid cloud models as well, as long as is they're scalable, or does the industry really see it as the public cloud? No, I think the transformational economics of hyperscale IT really only apply to the hyperscale cloud. They certainly don't apply to private clouds, and they apply to hybrid cloud, I would say, in very limited ways. And that that can become sort of a weedy conversation very quickly. But suffice to say that the goal of hybrid cloud is to bring as many aspects of those hyperscale benefits into a private cloud scenario as possible, but the upper limits of those possibilities are still extraordinarily constrained. Thanks, Dave. That makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So as doing some bit of research and reading a few articles, it seems like there's a, a pit against hyperscale cloud providers and IT service providers. But, but Dave or Chris, how is the hyperscale cloud technology adoption changing the IT field? Yeah, I, I think it's become the new normal, right? I mean, this is a, a revolution in computing, maybe since the transistor. It's really a remarkable generational shift. And although we're still only at the leading edge of it, I would identify sort of three key aspects that it has that it, where it has had a transformational effect on IT and, and just review them really quickly, although happy to go into more detail on any of them if, if it's of interest. And those are, you know, agility, innovation, and cybersecurity. Cybersecurity being sort of the, the negative driver where, you know, the threat environment currently is transforming at a pace and a scale that we've never seen before. And sort of the only safe refuge is those who can fight it at scale by taking comfort in the protection that the hyperscale cloud allows. Agility, the ability to fail fast and cheap, to experiment with IT in ways that may have previously required many, many months, and in some cases, many millions of dollars as a barrier of entry that has been completely shattered, where you can have an idea on a Tuesday and have it stood up on a Thursday, and if it doesn't work, then shut it down on a Monday, and having expended tiny amounts of time and money in pursuit of it and iterate, or even to launch multiple simultaneously. That agility, especially given the unforeseeable and unforeseen demands that our public sector customers are dealing with. I mean, pandemic, war, shifting alliances, you name it, agility is our brand. And the third innovation, I mean, just unlocking both the breadth, depth, and ease of adoption of an unbelievable array of innovative technologies that can go to market faster and more broadly using the hyperscale cloud than any previous delivery methods such that some of those innovative techniques will only be available on the hyperscale cloud because it's no longer marginally profitable for innovators to offer them in other contexts. So those are sort of three transformative aspects that I would hit on cybersecurity, agility, and innovation. Chris, I don't know if you have others. Yeah, no, you said it well. I 
one thing I think of is real-world constraints is always people and money, right? So cloud computing represents a, a shift from the expensive physical IT resources of on-premise, right? And that requires a certain amount of people and equipment, right? That's not really scalable or it's hard to scale to your point, being able to stand up using Scrum resources uh, solutions in, in hours and days versus weeks and months, like the typical enterprise model. So with the, the shift in cloud computing, gives a, a much smoother, highly secure more secure, highly controllable online resource that can benefit way more people, right, at the same time, making it more ubiquitous to folks. So that's been a big shift, I think, just in terms of scalability. And I think to your point, in the the pandemic, it, it kind of proved that in terms of getting some of our basic physiological needs of safety, food, and connecting people together, right, the cloud was a, a savior to that. And I do see it just, I think you mentioned early in the podcast, emerging, right? I do think the cloud computer environment is just emerging. And as we come out of this pandemic, we're going to see a higher level innovation going on just because of the the leverage it creates, the ease of adoption. And I think consumers nowadays got a taste of it being at home. Even the folks who may not have been early adopters to technology find themselves using mobile apps and online services. And we're finding even the older generation and you know folks of all different demographics now all on the cloud. So it, it's become an expectation of us citizens to have services that are available 24-7. And that leads us into our next question. So I guess based on what you said, Chris, you do think that the hyperscale data centers, operations, all of these will continue and persist past the, the pandemic. Yeah, I do. I think so when we look at the pandemic, right, it really tested the world's infrastructure and forced our infrastructure to adapt to the surge of the online world of connecting people, places and things together. We've seen traditional companies who did not have a cloud first strategy had to get online to survive and keep themselves relevant during the pandemic and provide necessary services. And going back to my previous point, I think you saw consumer adoption of cloud and on-demand services increase, right? People using Zoom, people, I think Amazon probably benefited the most just from uh, you know retail therapy at home, getting all your needs just shipped to your house. Um, so I think consumer adoption is way up there too. So as we come out of the pandemic, I see continual digital transformation, right? We have the better infrastructure now because we had to adapt to the online surge. We have more companies now seeing power and value of doing so and who are going to have a cloud-first strategy. And consumers actually just got the appetite wet and I think they're going to want more. And I actually thought of uh, an analogy here, right, is Instead of innovation being focused during the pandemic on, let's say, more the fundamentals of connecting people for work, food, essential services, safety, and entertainment, I believe they will be focused on further evolution. And if you think of Maslow's motivation model, right, and think of the pandemic, right, we think we're taking care with the cloud, physiological needs, safety needs, belonging, and, and connection needs, right? So at the bottom of that pyramid, the cloud was really focused on that. And as we come out of it, right now, we're going to go up the motivation model to other things, right? And, you know, for quality of life and convenience. And I think the innovation is going to be so strong. And I'll pick a couple areas, uh, health and IT, right? First, we had telemedicine just to provide basic health care at home and be able to do basic doctor visits. And that accelerated that. And now it's, it's something we expect. And now you find it out there's things with the cloud and mobile and online. You have home health devices that are not really there for 
your safety, but for improvement of health, right? You can get, you know, do blood work at home or glucose tests at home, go to the cloud, apply some artificial intelligence to it, all really not for because you have a chronic illness, just because you want to improve the quality of life. And I think anything as a service is going to grow. And when we say that, you know, take a sector, it could be retail as a service, health as a service, transportation as a service. And I do see in this decade, for example, when we get to a point, we'll have autonomous vehicles all talking to the cloud and on demand, coming to pick people up, moving goods and products and people all around, all with click and demand sharing information. So I just think we're at the, the tip of the iceberg here in terms of the level of innovation we're going to see coming out of the pandemic. Great. Dave? Yeah, I mean, this car has one gear, it's drive, it has one pedal, it's an accelerator. You can decide how fast you want to go, but it's just going forward. And uh you know, our president of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, characterized it at the beginning of the pandemic as having seen three years of digital transformation occur in three months. And I think that pace has basically kept up. You know, obviously, I focus very much on the, the public sector where the demands are growing both in variety and severity at a breakneck pace. And budgets are more constrained than they've ever been before. And the cloud unlocks so many possibilities for public servants to be able to do more with less and deliver more and higher quality public services to their citizenry, even in an era of constrained or shrinking budgets, that I, I think there really is no alternative. I agree. You both hit on major points. And then also just all the outside of cloud computing, just all of the innovations that have been brought up and have, have come into play by virtue of the pandemic and needing the support of a hyperscale data center cloud computing. So with new innovation comes legal issues. And so how do you navigate? How do you handle or control this compliance environment and the innovations that come with or kind of some, some of the headaches that come with cloud computing or hyperscale? I'm happy to hop on this first, right? So one word we'll talk about is governance, and that's a big word, I think, in cloud, and, and I'm sure Dave will speak to it from his view, right? So cloud, let's take, take us back, take us a step back, right? From a legal compliance perspective, right, we have the contractual side of the equation saying what you're going to do, right? And when we all these vendors sign up for, you know, contractual terms, it could be privacy, security, IP, data management, financial management, performance management. There's a whole bunch of different aspects of that you sign up contractually. Now, on the other side of the equation, you have the operation side. Now, is you need to do what you said you were going to do, right, and be in compliance. And I kind of, I know that's a saying that comes around with quality management and ISO 9001. Say what you're going to do and then do what you're going to say. And cloud governance is, is an important part of that. It's a set of rules and policies that companies use to manage their services, right? And it has different aspects. It's financial management, operation management, security and compliance management, data management, performance management, asset and configuration management. And when I think of quality management and cloud governance, right, you know, you have processes, people, and technologies, right? So you need to have those policies in place. You have to train people in those policies. You have tools. And I know, you know, vendors like Microsoft have tools that help you monitor your compliance across multiple different aspects. 
And you need people trained on those tools to do that. And it's it's sort of the, the holy grail is to be 100% compliant 100% of the time. And I kind of equate it to bugs and software. Well, that's really hard to do. But the, the goal with cloud governance is to do that. And there's actually a, I think it's becoming its own software domain in itself of clouds governance software management tools to help you just do that because of so many complexities with it. And it is very complex and you need, uh, on the people side too, you need a lot of talent to do that. And I think the talent pool needs to change for the cloud where we went from more on-prem enterprise type of technologies to to the cloud. There's just a different type of talent needs this as well on the on the people side. But I'll pause there and I'm sure Dave will have a lot of comments too. And, and after that, I'd like to share an article that I read this morning on compliance issues. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, I think that it's, first of all, important to make some category distinctions here between the consumer and enterprise portions and usage of the hyperscale cloud, right? There are going to need to be, and there have already begun to be, but I think there's more change to come in the exploitative models of the cloud rather than the enabling models of the cloud. And it's really too easy to throw out the baby with the bathwater in these regards if we are not willing to at least apply a little bit of scrutiny and a little bit of distinction in this space. But as the world trends towards valuing privacy as a fundamental right and ensconcing that value in legislation and regulation, we need to understand that our technological infrastructures and architectures need to evolve to accommodate that fundamental right. And if you're interested in it from sort of a an international relations perspective, you know, as we establish kind of the United States as a military superpower and China as a financial superpower, Europe is also establishing itself as a regulatory superpower. And we certainly see echoes and emanations of the European regulatory state specifically as regards cloud regulation showing up all over the world. And Europe's not done. <laughs> I think that we need to be careful in this regard and make sure that we are understanding that while privacy is a fundamental right, it is one of many fundamental rights and that balanced compromise here is inevitable. But in the meantime, while we're having that philosophical conversation, there's also a very practical conversation here as well, because as more twigs are added to this compliance nest, it becomes more and more burdensome for companies and agencies and ministries and departments that want to innovate, that want to digitally transform, to even demonstrate that they are doing so in a compliant fashion, right? It is becoming a full employment act for lawyers, but it is really becoming unreasonable burden, especially to small and medium-sized businesses to be even those that have no intention of doing anything exploitative or anything transgressive, just to demonstrate their positive intentions has become an extraordinarily slow, time-consuming and expensive process. Now, from my perspective, the hyperscale cloud has sort of a democratizing effect here because once you kind of ally yourself with one of the big providers, you also kind of 
ride their coattails to a certain extent to be able to say, well, if the platform that I am computing on in terms of the hyperscale cloud is compliant and has demonstrated its compliance according to, and at Microsoft we certify according to over a hundred compliance regimes worldwide. So if I sort of get that for free just by signing up, then all I have to do is sort of document the delta, right? I just have to establish the compliance of whatever additional work I'm doing on the cloud. And that's a much more feasible task for an entrepreneur or a small, medium-sized business to be able to achieve. So I think there's some synergy here between expanding compliance regimes and expanding hyperscale cloud adoption. But at the same time, it is a very dynamic space and we are looking forward to, I would say, very turbulent times worldwide as regards this issue. Thank you. Chris, you said you wanted to highlight some. Yeah, Dave, Dave teed it up pretty nicely oh, from a high level because we talk today. I saw an article announcing that Microsoft execs were reaching out, you know, to Congress to say, hey, we need a federal level privacy framework to follow, right? To Dave's point, the, we're just talking about privacy and there's a whole bunch of compliance areas besides that. And we, first of all, we think about it from a global perspective and other countries and the regulatory schemes are ahead of us. And I think the U.S. needs to play some catch up there. And as a global service provider, wherever you are on that supply chain and you're delivering services, right? You your goal is to make it ubiquitous to people globally. And so you have these multi-jurisdictional issues of compliance that you have to deal with. And now let's just focus on the United States and just about privacy right now, because we have a patchwork of privacy laws on a state basis. So I could be a U.S.-only cloud provider, right? And uh, I'll call service provider leveraging services like Microsoft. And all of a sudden, you know, there's issues to consider about this divergence in some of the privacy laws between like California, Massachusetts, and D.C. and Utah, and all of a sudden, you have a patchwork of state-level privacy laws that you have to deal with in terms of delivering cloud services. So that just is a taste of some of the compliance issues that service providers need to deal with, right? And even just in our own country in terms of the patchwork of privacy laws. So I think you know the government could do something to help that along in terms of regulatory regimes and making that easier while being respectful to privacy. To today's point, it's, it's a fundamental right of others, but at the same time, we need to make the adoption of cloud services for everybody the innovation supply chain a lot of times starts with the, the smaller to medium-sized players who are the innovators, and we can't make it that difficult for them to get on the cloud. And I think, as Dave mentioned, align yourselves well with a cloud provider who has all that kind of compliance capability built in, and you just have to do the delta, is it gets you pretty far. I've read that article. I was like, wow, that was pretty on point to some of the challenges that cloud service providers face today and, and the practicalities of it. Yeah, it's a complex political environment that, that governs that, and there's a lot of countervailing winds there. But at the end of the day, right, to, to whip out the Calvin Coolidge, like the business of America is business. And this chaotic patchwork of different standards across America is bad for business, right? Harmonization benefits pretty much everyone. I think the sooner that the U.S. is able to 
come to a, a consensus on what's appropriate, at least as a minimum standard, that's going to be good news for business. It'll be good news for public sector as well. And it'll have tremendous benefits for multinational corporations as well as we get into some of like the adequacy determinations with the EU and some of the, you know, more in the weeds issues that, that we're probably not going to take on in depth today. Thank you both. It is a very interesting landscape. In terms of just my final question, we know that AI is permeating pretty much every industry, every sector. So how does the use of AI play in the cloud technology environment? Yeah, so this goes back to the point I mentioned before about where innovation is happening, because AI when it's done in sort of the modern context, and there's a ton of categories and a ton of variety here. So I'm doing violence to the notion by even aggregating it under a single banner, but you'll forgive me. AI today is deeply entwined with big data, and it requires the capacity to be able to analyze enormous amounts of signal in order to be able to come to its sort of magical conclusions. And in many cases, it requires, you know, specialized hardware and sort of esoteric architectures in order to be able to do that, such that it becomes prohibitive for any individual enterprise, public or private sector, to be able to invest in, maintain, and update those architectures to be able to pursue and deploy modern artificial intelligence techniques. As a result, you see a concentration of AI activities on the hyperscale cloud where the economies of scale work to make it not only affordable to field those sorts of infrastructure, but investment in there actually gives you a competitive advantage. So it becomes this sort of, you know, virtuous cycle, this flywheel that attracts even more and more capability, which is just good news for customers, whether they're in the public or private sector and sort of supercharges not only innovation, but the accessibility of that innovation to a broad swath of, of stakeholders in a very rapid form. So, you know, I think AI is already concentrated tremendously on the hyperscale cloud. And that's a that's a trend I see, you know, increasing, not decreasing over time. Yeah, and to add my flavor to the topic is, so one purpose of cloud is to make services ubiquitous, right? The hyperscale available on demand, automated across a diverse set of users, right? To scale, you can have a, a large audience base. And one way to customize that digital experience for these different users of different demographics is through AI. So AI can learn the users in a systematic and automated way to improve and customize that experience to its users, right? So they get a better experience. One thing that does happen, they mentioned this with digital transformation hyperscale, is that there's lots of data that gets ingested, processed, transformed, stored. And these Digital transformations from the cloud have new functionality workflow that leads to a unique data set across a large audience base. And in multi-tenant environments too, there's digital exhaust of unique patterns to determine the associations, the insights and predictions that can lead to customized improved services or new products and services. When you put AI and big data and hyperscale cloud together, it's 
business intelligence on steroids, right? BI services are using cloud-based AI services to get those deep insights into the behavior of their target audience to make the whole overall user experience better. And also innovation is going to be driven from that AI experience. And one thing I have a tagline I usually say about data and AI in the cloud is that data is the new form of innovation or IP currency, right? There's a lot of value in that data. Having data governance model that enables one to monetize that data in a way that's respectful to the privacy and the data owned and received from various stakeholders, but still allows the service provider to improve their products and services is really valuable, right? Because we still want to be able to use that data in an anonymized or aggregated fashion with AI as a powerful tool that will benefit those stakeholders in a multi-tenant environment, as well as the cloud service provider itself. So AI in the cloud and the data is, is all a natural fit. And I think the synergistic value of those were just going to drive innovation even further in adoption of the cloud. Fantastic. Well, thank you both. I just want to open it up. Are there any departing words that you have for our listeners before we wrap up? Wow. I mean, just sort of watch this space. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of change in the offing in the short term. There's tremendous uncertainty about sort of where these interplays of regulatory and technological innovation are going to play in the long term. And there are lots of both private and public sector customers who desperately need good counsel and good advising in terms of how to take advantage of these trends, but do so in a compliant manner. So yeah, lots to lots to say in the future. Yeah, I'll just say it's an exciting time. I think as a human race, we're going to see so much innovation in this decade that I think 10 years from now, we're going to look back and, and even look where we are from the pandemic and how much we've grown. So I just think we're at a transformational era in digital transformation that's only going to improve our quality of lives and our daily lives. And the cloud and mobile is all going to be an integrated part of it. And as we discussed, I think navigating that with the compliance and the adoption of that is going to require you know, savvy business and legal counsel to understand the multi-jurisdictional landscape from legal, business, and competitive regulatory kind of issues and being practical at the same time to to drive that adoption. So there's more to come. It's going to be an exciting time, and we're all going to learn from it, and uh, but we're all going to benefit from it uh, on a day-to-day basis. Absolutely. So thank you both. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. It was a very informative talk. Until next time, thank you, everyone, and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to this production from Foley and Lardner, LLP. This podcast is provided for general informational purposes only and is intended as a general overview. The podcast does not constitute legal advice nor solicitation to provide legal services. It's not meant to convey a legal position of Foley and Lardner, LLP, on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice. Any opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the firm, its partners, or its clients. And listening to the podcast does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The listener should not act upon this information without seeking counsel from a licensed attorney. Foley makes no representations or warranties of any kind, expressed or implied, as to the content of the podcast or to its accuracy or completeness, and accepts no responsibility for an individual who acts or refrains from acting based on information obtained from the podcast. In some jurisdictions, the contents of this podcast may be considered attorney advertising.
If applicable, please note that prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome.